0: Hello, I am Matthew Hurst, the worship minister of First Baptist Church, Watauga, and we want to simply say thank you for listening to these messages. We'd like to invite you on Sunday morning at 1045 to join us in worship of God and to hear from His Word. Our mission here at FBC Wataga is to exalt the Savior equip the saints and to evangelize the lost one person at a time. So I pray as you listen to these messages that you would be encouraged and equipped as you listen to the word of the Lord today. Well, good morning. It is good to be here with you, whether in person or online, as we study God's word together. We are, uh, I want to give you a kind of, kind of a, a setup for where we are in the gospel of John Uh, The Gospel of John, of course, is uh, 21 chapters. It's taken a while to get through it. But we have broken that down into four series. And you'll notice that with our uh, graphics that we put up. We are in the second of these four series in the Gospel of John. The first one, uh, we focused on the phrase, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, That was the title of that series. This series that we're going to work through now during the winter of 2021, really it will take us up to... uh, Easter is set free by the truth and this really encapsulates a lot of Jesus' key teachings on on how we can be set free and some instruction for personal life and for the church. That'll take us from John chapter 8 that we've already begun through John chapter 12. And then a majority or half of the gospel of John is John chapter 13 to the end and it includes the last night of Jesus' life and then the Uh, The aftermath, the crucifixion and resurrection, and then uh, what took place after Jesus' crucifixion. And so the second series that's going to come right after Easter is going to be titled Dark Night and Final Words. And so we will spend that entire series looking at John 13 from the Lord's Supper uh, up until the crucifixion of Christ, everything that took place in that last night. And then the final series, section will come in the summer, and we'll be looking at uh, mission accomplished, uh, Jesus fulfilled the mission that he came here to do. So kind uh, of give you a, 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 a locator so you can see where we are in that today. We're going to be in John chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at uh, this passage where Jesus has said two times, in fact, he said twice in last week's message uh, in that text, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, where I'm going to go, you can't follow me. You can't get there. And uh, so the title of today's message is, is simply that, how to go where Jesus is. Now, where is Jesus? That's what I want to kind of begin with today and, and ask that question. Because the scripture tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the heavenly father above the heavenly places. He is above the heavens. Well, how far away is that? Where is he? And when you start looking at uh, distances in our heavens, y- y- you start throwing around numbers like millions and billions and trillions, and it just almost kind of makes the brain leak. Right now, our federal government is about to pass a bill to spend $1.9 trillion that our country doesn't have okay? 1.9 trillion. And, and it just passes us by. What is a trillion? Well, let's put it this way. Seconds. We, we know what a second is. One, two, three, four seconds, or our smallest measure of time that we use on a regular daily basis. One billion seconds, one billion seconds ago, I had just graduated from high school and was going to college. It's points, 1 billion seconds. 100, you hear the topic, well, we gave $100,000 to whatever, or $100 billion to whatever. $100 billion gets thrown around a lot in our federal budget. A 100 billion seconds would be around the time of David and Goliath. Over 3,000 years ago. 1 trillion seconds if if a year equated to a second 1 trillion seconds would be 31,700 years ago our mind begins to leak doesn't it we can't imagine what happened 300 years ago let alone 3000 years ago 31,000 years ago <clears throat> And so those numbers don't help us a lot. How far is G, if he's seated above the heavenlies, how far is he seated from where we're located now? I tried to boil this down into something that, that I could register, I could relate to a little bit. I love to go on long drives. I'll get in the truck, hook onto my camper, and drive from here to Yellowstone National Park overnight. Love doing that. It's a long drive. And if I do well, okay. If, if, if I can meet my goal on limiting my stops to just gas stops and very few other stops, I can, I can average 60 miles an hour. That means I'm having to drive 70, 75 miles an hour. But I can I, you drive the speed limit right at the top of the speed limit. Just don't stop. Average 60 miles an hour. I can I can get there overnight well Mars is our next closest relative planet right it's it's our neighbor there's a lot of talk right now about some of the, the uh, rich people in our nation that are coming up with plans to send people to Mars and and so how far is Mars Well if I was going to drive there Mars changes because of its uh, orbit, but the average distance of Mars from the earth is 140 million miles. So it's 60 miles an hour, nonstop, not stopping for gas, not stopping to go to the bathroom, not stopping to eat. It would only take me 274 years to get to Mars. That's not really a trip I want to take with my kids, right? But we know that you can't drive to Mars. That's crazy, right? So something else that I can relate to, because I've flown across the country. I've gotten to uh, fly to a couple of other countries doing uh, some of the mission projects that I've been on. And so uh, imagine taking a Boeing 747 at maximum speed from here to Mars. That cuts it down quite a bit. It only takes you 28 years to get to Mars. If you get in a Boeing 747 and don't stop and fly straight to Mars, Mars is our next closest planet. Then, on the outskirts of our solar system, you have Pluto out there. Pluto, kind of the stepbrother, you know, he lost his position, he got it back, and he was kind of going back and forth with researchers, but the average orbit of Pluto from the Earth is 3.6 billion miles. It'll get as close as 2.66 billion miles, it goes out to 4 billion miles at some point, And if you got on that same 747 and flew at max speed nonstop for 729 years, you could reach Pluto at its its average distance. Now, to give you an idea of that, of just how big, that's just the outskirts of our solar system. You, you may have seen this picture when we did some uh, a, a study here before. There's an image uh, from Voyager 1. Voyager 1 was a spacecraft launched in uh, 1977. And when it reached the outskirts of our solar system, it was about 3 billion miles out. So it was basically within the orbit of Pluto, kind of in the center of orbits Pluto. They turned the cameras from Voyager 1 and pointed it back toward Earth and said, where is Earth? Well, if you can see circled there in that light band of sunray is a pale blue dot that's what earth looks like from pluto's orbit that's us you think you're a big deal (laughs) you think you're a big deal to god that's that's earth That is all of the earth, all of the oceans, all of the mountains, all of the prairies. That's all of earth from Pluto's orbit. Now, I'm gonna show you a couple more pictures, but this really begins to cause me to struggle in my brain because nobody has been there. We've sent these, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, they've actually traveled much further than that now. They are now out between our galaxy and another galaxy. They're out in what's called interstellar space, 18 billion miles out, so 14 billion more miles from that spot, from where they took that picture. And so scientists have tried to develop an an image, a map of our Milky Way galaxy so that we can see where we are in our galaxy. That arrow points to our star, the sun, and our solar system. There's a red dot up there that that, that is the image of our entire solar system. And our solar system fits somewhere in this picture, the next one. One of those dots is our Milky Way galaxy. The scripture says that God not only created that, he is seated beyond the heavens. Jesus looks at those whom he's teaching and he says, where I come from and where I'm going You can't go. You will die in your sins trying to find me. Look with me at John chapter 8, verse 21. Here, you have this, Jesus is still at the festival we've talked about the last couple weeks. And here in John chapter 21... Scripture uh, is speaking again to these same Jewish leaders, Pharisees, religious people who have it all figured out, you know, how to have a right relationship with God right. And so he says to them again, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jew said, he won't kill himself, will he, since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And listen to what he says. You are from below, he told them. I'm from above. You're from this world. I'm not of this world. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For you do not believe that I am he. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. They ask this question in verse 25. Who are you? They question him we'll get back to this in a minute because this is awesome. He says, exactly what I've been telling you from the beginning. Jesus told them, I have many things to say and to judge you about, but the one who sent me is true. And what I have heard from him, these things I tell the world. They did not know what he was speaking about, that he was speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own, but just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I will always do what pleases him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So focusing on point number one here is where Jesus is, we can't get there in any of our man's efforts. In fact, he's specifically speaking to these uber-religious people, these people who are very religious. I mean, they cross every T, they dot every I, they don't miss a jot and tittle in their Hebrew. They got, they got their religion down. And he says, y'all, y'all are seeking for me, you're looking for me, but where I'm going, you're not gonna be able to come. You're not gonna be able to get there because you're gonna die in your sins before you find me. Well, <clears throat> the first reason for that is our sin kills us. Our sin destroys us. And it's not just uh, those horrible heathens out there who do all these terrible things. The apostle Paul described this in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, beginning later on, about about midway through Romans chapter 1, he basically wrote, those who have turned their back on God, those who don't have any religion, those who are living a a lifestyle of immorality, those people who who don't seek after God, those people are going to die in their sins. Those people have sinned against God, and they're going to die in their sins. All the religious people go, whoa. Then in the next chapter, Paul says, and now we got all these religious people. And and, and there's a lot of religious people that have all kinds of idols and religious people that that they do all, they they read their religious books and they try to do religious things and they bow down and they worship. And even you Jews, even you Jewish religious people who claim to worship Yahweh, you, you know what's going to happen to religious people? You're going to die in your sins. And then Paul comes to Romans chapter 3, where he sums up Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2, and he preaches kind of from the Old Testament, and he quotes some Old Testament passages that say, All have sinned. There is none righteous, no, not one. Religious people, you're sinners. Unreligious, irreligious people, you're sinners. And so you're all in the same boat. You will die in your sin pursuing religion. You will die in your sin pursuing after Jesus. You will die in your sin chasing after the things of this world. And then Paul summarizes it, with, which is what the most the most famous verse that we use a lot, Romans three twenty three, at the end of that whole text where he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of God's expectations and that sin kills us. Jesus tells us we'll die in our sin. The apostle Paul later on in that same book in Romans 6:23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Our sin earns us death. We will not be able to go where Jesus is going because our sin will kill us before we can get there. We will die in our sin. And we won't be able to get where Jesus is going, not just because the distance is too great. We can't can't get there. We can't travel there. We we can't get on a plane. We can't get on a rocket ship and get there. When we start talking about the next nearest, out of all of those galaxies in that picture up there, the next nearest galaxy to the Milky Way galaxy is 25,000 light years away. So we're not talking about traveling on a, a, a you know, Boeing 747. We're talking about something that travels at the speed of light. It would take you 25,000 years to get to the next galaxy over. 25,000 light years away. So how far are the heavens that are above God's creation? We cannot get to where Jesus is on our own, no matter how hard we try. But not only are we separated by time and space, we are separated by our natures. God is holy. And he is absolutely pure and perfect in his holiness. And our sin stains our soul. We cannot step into the presence of God. Not only because are we separated by time and space, but we're separated by our sin from his holy nature. We cannot go to where Jesus is on our own. So what hope do we have? What is our chance of being able to travel from this earth to beyond the heavenlies? Jesus tells us the answer in verse 24. He couches it in the negative, but he tells us the answer. He said, therefore I told you that you'll die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Wait a minute, Pastor, you left out a word there. Jesus said, in my Bible, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Well, there's an amazing Past, or there's an amazing name here that Jesus gives himself twice in this text, and we'll look at one more a little bit later on in John. When, G, in, when he says, If you do not believe that I am, there is no predicate to that verb. Jesus uses these two Greek words, ego, I mean, which is an emphatic predicate, I mean, an emphatic statement that says, I am. And in that phrase, in verse 24, I believe without question that Jesus is identifying himself with the God of the Old Testament. The God of the burning bush. When Moses was getting ready to go into Egypt and he says, who shall I say sent me? God told him, tell them that I am sent you. Now, that I am statement oftentimes Jesus uses with a predicate. And a lot of times this gets stretched by scholars and preachers. There are seven different I am categories in in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the truth. He says, I am the gate. He says, I am the good shepherd. But there's a handful of these statements, six or seven of them, where there is no predicate At the end of that sentence, Jesus simply says, I am. And there's several reasons that I believe that he's clearly saying that here. The first reason is he tells him, if you believe that I am, and then they ask him the question, well, who are you? And he says, exactly what I've been telling you. I've been trying to tell you this from the beginning, that me and the Father, were one, I am. And he reemphasizes it down in verse 28. Unless you think that your pastor is somebody who is stretching this and taking it too far, there are passages in John where there is a clear predicate. There are passages where there are not. The clearest of the clearest statements of this nature is found at the end of this chapter in John chapter 8, verse 35, I mean, verse 58 and 59. That's the third time in John chapter eight where Jesus uses the I am statement without the predicate. Jesus has gotten, he's still in an argument with these same religious leaders, these same Pharisees. They're still going back and forth. And and Jesus is saying, look, Abraham, you knew my father. And he said, I knew Abraham. And they went, wait a minute. Abraham died thousands of years ago. How could you know Abraham? And I imagine Jesus with a glint in his eye and a smile on his face said, before Abraham was, I am. There's no question whatsoever what Jesus meant when he said that. I, there's no question to me. In fact, even the Bible translators, that's, that's the one place where English translators don't add he as a predicate after that statement. And nobody has any question about it. And the religious Jewish leaders at the time had no question about it because if you look at verse 59, you see what they did. That time when he said I Truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am, they picked up stones to throw at him. At that moment, they knew by then that he was identifying himself with the holy God. Jesus was not just saying, I am he, like he was saying, I am the bread of life. It wasn't that he was just identifying with some ethereal idea or religious idea, he was making it clear. I am the great I am. And his words are clear. If you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sin. There's, Jesus left no room for exit here. He, is, he, he, he doesn't say that, that if somehow you, know, you believe that I'm one of or that you need me, that you also need your religion. He was saying, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sin. Our hope of eternal life, our hope of being able to go where Jesus is, seated at the right hand of the Father, experiencing the glory that God desired for us in the first place, our hope of that, is Jesus and putting our full faith and trust completely and wholly in Jesus as the great I am. Not I was, not I will be, Jesus said, I am. And he identified himself directly and clearly with the, with the heavenly father. Belief in Jesus is our hope of eternal life. Belief in Jesus, putting our full faith and trust in him is our hope of heaven our hope of being able to go where he is. Those who don't believe, he makes clear, you will die in your sin. You can look for me in history, you can look for me in, in theology, you can search for me in the heavens, in astronomy, or in astrology, You can seek me all of your entire life, but unless you come to a place in your life where you believe that I am, you will die in your sins looking for me. And these religious leaders in particular, he's telling them that you as religious leaders are searching for something and I am here. You're searching for me. If you'll believe in me, you'll have life. If not, you will die in your sins. You'll die without hope. You can't get there on your own. I'm the only way. And, and so then, as we, as we continue through the text, how, how can we have confidence that Jesus is who he says he is? Because Jesus is gonna give him a pointer here. This is how you're gonna know. This is, this is something that I'm gonna give you that you'll know for sure. This is how you can understand. Down in verse 25, or, or, or verse 27, says they did not know, they still did not know what he was, that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And that I do nothing on my own, but just as the Father has taught me, I say these things. Jesus points to the cross. You want to know where you're going to gain the greatest confidence? It's going to be when you look to what Jesus did for you. When you ever are wondering, does does God really love me? Does God really care about me? Does, Does what we say scripture teaches, does it matter? Jesus says, when I am lifted up, then you'll know that I am. Why? Why does that give us such confidence? First and foremost, when we look to his sacrifice on the cross, and we understand what he did on the cross. Especially in light of what came afterwards. We recognize that he is God. Nobody else would do what Jesus did. Nobody else would allow himself to have those nails driven in his wrist. To have his, his flesh ripped from him. Have his, his thorns driven in his brow. To be hung up on that cross. Nobody else would do that. And then look down at those who were, who were casting dice for his clothes, and, and, and those, those men who had just beat him and nailed him to the cross, and those who were mocking him and making fun of him, nobody else would, hanging on that cross, would look down at them and pray that prayer, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Nobody else would look down from the cross and see my sin that he was dying for, even when I continued to walk in my sin. After I've said I believed, after I've said I've trusted him, nobody else would look down from that cross at me and say, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing when it's my sin that caused him to be nailed to the cross. Jesus says, if you have any question, you're going to know there's coming a day when I'll be lifted up. In the context of that passage, when you look back to John chapter 3, you'll remember him saying this previously. John chapter 3, we're familiar with that story. We know John three sixteen. We've, we've read it. We've quoted it. We've said it over and over. It's the, it, within the context of Jesus talking to one of these Pharisees one-on-one. Nicodemus, who was a leader of the Pharisees, had come to him and was asking him questions. And in that conversation, toward the end of it, Jesus tells Nicodemus this. Now, I imagine this rang a bell a year or two later when he says it in John chapter 8. Jesus tells Nicodemus, just as Moses Lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world. He loved the world in this way, so that everyone who believes in his Son could have eternal life. God loved us so much that he gave his one and only Son to be lifted up on that cross so that we could have eternal life, so that we could go where he's going, so that we could be where he is. what, What does it take? What's required of that? It requires our faith, our trust in him. And before we step completely into that, we also have confidence that Jesus is I am, not just because he died on the cross, but what happened three days later when he rose up out of the grave. Jesus came back up out of the grave to be seen not only by a handful of his disciples, but at one point the Apostle Paul says there were over 500 people that saw the resurrected body of Christ walking around on on earth in those days that he was resurrected. We know that Jesus is the the great I am, that Jesus is the, the, the God of the universe. He's seated at the right hand with his father right now. We know because of what happened at the cross and what happened three days later. Jesus rose again, and Jesus makes this promise to us. If you will believe in me, you can go where I'm going. You can be with me. God loves you so much, he sent me to die for you. This week, I, I, I've sought over the last couple months in particular, but especially recently to use social media as best I can to teach. And the Lord put something on my heart this week that many of you saw out there. And it's what I believe is going on in our culture today. You've got two different sides. You've got one side that says, you know what, my side's good, y'all are all evil. And then these people over here, they'll go, nope, nope, my side's good, y'all are all evil. And then this person over here, this group, they start yelling louder, no, really, no way, my side's good, everybody on that side, you're evil. I don't care what you, what you think, you're evil. And I believe God's on his throne in the middle of it all saying, none of y'all are good. You're all evil. You've all sinned. You're all without hope. Let me show you how to live. Let me give you some hope. I'll send my son to walk among you and teach you. And he's even going to die for you. A horrible, brutal death. Predicted hundreds of years, thousands of years even, before he came. He's going to die for you. So that you can be set free from your evil and from your pride. And you can live life the way I intended it. So you know what the people on this side do? Kill him! Kill him! And the people on this side, they say, kill him! Kill him! The religious people and the, and the heathen, they all say, kill him! And then know, know what they do after they kill him? My side's good, y'all are evil. Nope, we're good, y'all are evil. And none of them can see their own sin. But the truth is... Just as today, whether in in the New Testament times they were religious or they were liberal in their theology or they were conservative or they were socialist in in their politics, they were all evil and they were all gonna die in their sin unless they believe that Jesus is the great I am. And it's no different today than it was then. Our hope of salvation, our hope of eternal life, our hope of a future doesn't rest in either side. It rests in Jesus. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sin. You can go where I'm going if you simply believe in me. Well, let me, for just a few moments, let me explore this from where I come from. I I tend to be a guy that wants to figure things out. I want to know where we're going. I want to know how we're going to get there. I want to plan a little bit ahead of time. I don't mind a little bit of of, uh, uneasiness. I want to plan ahead of time. This might best be illustrated by uh, over the years as we were taking trips to Peru, both of my older daughters uh, got to go to Peru on mission trips. One of those older daughters is pretty happy-go-lucky. She would, whatever she was told to do, she would do. Whatever she, you know, she didn't have to know ahead of time. If the, if the missionaries who lived there said, hey, we're going to get on this bus, she'd get on the bus. She wouldn't say, where are we going after we get on the bus? She'd get on the bus. When we got there, she'd do what she has to do. Another one of the daughters is a little bit more like me in that she wants to know. But she's kind of a younger version of me that hadn't mellowed out quite as much. And so she would be upset. Well, I, I, I just need to know where we're going. Well, why do you need to know? Quentin and Gina know where we're going. They live here. Quentin and Gina could take you around the inner city of Lima in the dark without a flashlight. They knew the threats, they knew the concerns, they knew the problems, they they would take you. And so I learned that the number one rule of, of any time that you're doing mission work is flexibility. Because the Peruvians don't work off of the same time clock that we do. They don't necessarily work off the same values that we do in the Western mindset. And there's a lot of good in that, I'm telling you. You just have to relax. But one of my daughters had a need to know where are we going today? What time are we going to get there? What are we going to do when we get there? And if you ever had to look at her and say, I just don't know. We're not sure what we're going to find when we get there. Trust our leaders. They live here. They've been here a long time. They know these trees. They know the path. They know the way. Trust them. I believe that Jesus is looking at us saying, trust me. Now, I've studied theology. I love studying the New Testament. I I love digging into God's word. I love knowing. I want to have some direction. I want to have some vision. But in all honesty, as much as I might try to understand the universe and the solar system and the complexities of it, when we start talking about billions of miles and light years and those kind of things, I can't figure it all out. So I can't get to where Jesus is on my own. I sound a little bit like Thomas. In John chapter 14, the night before Jesus died, Thomas, uh, Jesus is saying, hey, in my father's house are many mansions, chill out, don't let your heart be troubled, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you there. Thomas looks at him and he says, but how can we know where you're going? We don't know the way. How can we know how to get there? How, how, how are we gonna get there, Jesus. And Jesus just steps back and he says, hold on, Thomas. You don't have to know. You don't have to have it all figured out. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one's going to get to the Father anyway except through me. Trust me, Thomas. Trust me. I like studying apologetics. I like trying to figure out. The theology, systematic theology. I like a lot of those things, but there, there's, there comes a point in everybody's life where you have to stop and say, you know what, I don't know it all. I can't understand it all. I can't figure it all out. So at this point, I'm gonna trust you, Jesus. I'm gonna put my full faith and belief in you, Jesus says, if you'll believe that I am, you'll have eternal life. A lot of us want to approach it this way. Jesus, I trust you to an extent, but I need to figure some stuff out first. When in reality, the approach we need to take is, like my mama said, God gave you a brain. Gave you a brain to use, use it. Lord, I'm going to, there's a lot of things I can figure out. But when I come to the end of that, bottom line is, I trust you. When I don't know where I'm going, I trust you. When I don't understand all of the, the theology, I trust you. When things in, in life don't make sense, I trust you. And when it comes to how to get where you are, Jesus I can't figure out how to get there on my own. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust what you have to say. I believe this is an incredibly important message for all of us. Because it doesn't matter if you've served in church for 40 years, if you've had all the theology figured out, if you've tithed, if you've taught Sunday school, ultimately your religion will not get you to where Jesus is, no matter how hard you try. There's only one hope that we have of eternal life and of salvation, and that is that we believe that Jesus is the great I am, that he is who he says he is. Jesus is God. He's not a God. He's not one of the many gods. He's not one path to heaven. He is God. He doesn't just give us bread. He doesn't just give us light. He he doesn't just give us truth when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the bread of life. He is the great I am. Jesus is God. He was God in the beginning. He's God now, and he'll forever be God. And if we want to get where he is, we have to trust him and him alone. Hey, folks, this is Pastor Dennis Hester. And I want to thank you for joining First Baptist Watauga through our podcast and hearing the message today. My prayer is that you are encouraged and uplifted by the preaching and teaching of God's word. Our goal here is to equip you in your faith and to encourage you as you worship the Lord and seek to serve Him. If you have a question or you have a decision that you'd like to make, I'd encourage you to reach out to us through our website at fbcwatauga.org or simply call the church office. You can find that number or our email addresses there on that website as well. And by doing that, uh, we'd be glad to hear from you and we'd be encouraged by hearing what God's doing in your life. So God bless you and have a great day.